Welcome to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings, where we look at some of the details of the Hebrew and the weekly Torah portion and some of the anomalies in the Torah scroll itself. And in this episode, we have another double portion, portion Kedoshim, uh, I should say first Akremot, followed by Kedoshim. And these two together cover Leviticus chapter 16 through 20. So let's get right in. Now, before we begin, I want us to look back at a verse from Shemini, back in Leviticus 10, verses 8 and 9. Um, the name of our Torah portion this episode, Achremot, means after the death, referring to after the death of Aaron's two sons, Nadav and Avihu. But if we go back to Leviticus 10, it says this, and Adonai spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. God spoke these words to Aaron immediately after the death of Nadav and Avihu. So this is one of the reasons we think that one of the things they did wrong, aside from bringing uh, Zara, strange fire, to God, is they may have been a little inebriated at the time. So the warning about strong drink. So I bring up this verse from a couple Torah portions ago because we find something interesting in this one. In Leviticus 16.1, it says, Adonai spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before Adonai and died. Now the phrase two sons of Aaron is Shanae, that's two, B'nai, sons, Aharon, Aaron. And if you look at the last letter of each word, Yud, Yud, Nun, it spells the word Yayan, which means wine. And so the rabbis have seen in the last letters of these three words a hint that, yes, they were hitting the juice before they went in to burn incense to the Lord, and they should not do that. So, we, when we serve God, we need to do sober-mindedly. We should not be under the influence of wine, or under the influence of anything else for that matter. Under the influence of pride, self-interest, money. Um, we need to be sober-minded, focused on what we're doing and who we're doing it for. Well, let's continue on. I've mentioned several times in the series of teachings I do that there are certain chapters in the Torah that just kind of stand out and are uh, especially important, ones we need to really focus on because they're like milestones in the Torah. And uh, I've named several of these in the past. Well, this is another one to add to the list, Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 describes the Yom Kippur service. And one of the reasons why this chapter is so important and Yom Kippur is so important is that if you've studied the sacrifices, you know that there is no sacrifice that removes sin. The sacrifices would kind of cover them. The sacrifices were a way of a, of a sinner to express repentance. Um, and the sacrifices were only for inadvertent sins, sins that you, you committed and you didn't realize you had violated a commandment. 
And even if you committed a sin out of pure carelessness, the sacrifice didn't cover that. It was a way of expressing repentance for something that just missed your attention and later you realize you'd done something wrong. And so the sin and guilt offerings are a way to express repentance for those things. If you sinned willfully, there was no sacrifice for that. But with all that said, there's this one exceptional sacrifice that isn't really a sacrifice. And that is the goat that was sent to Azazel. Um, it's often called the scapegoat because they translate the word Azazel as Az, the goat that Azel went there. So it's the goat that went, <laughs> went out. We don't know what the word Azazel means. There are all kinds of theories. But let's get back to our, our focus here. In Leviticus 16, verses 8 to 10, it says, And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for Adonai, and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for Adonai, and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before Adonai to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Uh, the word Azazel appears three times in this short passage, and it appears one more time down at the end of the chapter, I think in verse 26, uh, in passing. But the rabbis have noticed that these three mentions of Azazel, this goat which alone bears away the sins of Israel, they say that the three mentions of Azazel refer to the three kinds of transgressions and sins that it carries away. And you find these in our passage. In verse 21, it says this, And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, this is the goat to Azazel, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. Iniquities, transgressions, and sins. You know, growing up in the evangelical church, I would always hear the phrase that all sin is sin. It's all the same. Uh, that's not quite true. Some sins, as we all know, are much more serious than others. And the Hebrew uses three different words for three different levels of sin. Now, these do not occur in what you consider to be a logical order, but we'll just take them as they do appear. Uh, the first one's mentioned iniquities is avon, which really refers to guilt. Refers to guilt. Transgressions, right here in the middle, pesha, refers to willful sins. These are things that a person does knowing that they're wrong, but they do them anyway. And then the word for sins, katat, is errors. Um, you know, the word Torah, instruction, comes from the verb yara, which means to hit the mark. You're aiming at the mark, you hit the mark, and that's what Torah instruction is for. So we can hit the mark when we strive to live a righteous life. But the word khet, or in this uh, plural, khatat, means to miss the mark. You made an error. You're trying to do what's right, 
mm, but you, you aimed a little bit too far to one side or the other and you missed. But Pesha, this is when you know the target's here, and the, but you aim over here because you want to shoot at what you want to shoot at. You're not trying to do what's righteous. All three of these kinds of sins were placed on the head of this goat and it bore them out into the wilderness. There's so much I'm tempted to talk about concerning this goat, so many things to say and references to Mashiach, but we'll just have to save that for a different teaching. Continuing on, we come to chapter 19, one of my favorite chapters in the Torah. Um, chapter 19 is one of those chapters we would all do well to memorize. Chapter 19 contains 70 commandments. I should say that our Torah portion contains 70 commandments, but the bulk of them are found right here in Leviticus 19. 19 gives us so much practical guidance about how to live life with one another in proper relationship with our neighbor. But in verse 2, setting the tone for this special chapter, it says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Adonai your God, am holy. That phrase, I, Adonai your God, is Ani Adonai Elohechem. Ani means I, there's God's name, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. Elohechem means your God. It can also mean, I am your God. I am Adonai your God. Ani Adonai Elohechem. Now, this phrase occurs 10 times in our Torah portion. It also occurs 10 times without the word Elohechem on the end. Just Ani Adonai. I am Adonai. I don't think it's a coincidence that each of these phrases, I am Adonai your God, or I am Adonai, each occur exactly 10 times in our portion. Why 10? Well, when you think of 10 things, what is probably the first thing that comes to mind? The 10 Commandments. Because the 10 Commandments are based on the fact that God is our God, we are His people, this is how we live in a way that makes us different from the nations, but makes us more like our God, our Creator, and to live life that's in keeping with His ways and with His values. So, both of these phrases, Ani Adonai Lehechem and just Ani Adonai, both occur ten times in our portion. Now, when we come to verse 4, it says, Do not turn to the idols. Ha-elelim is the word that's used here, which is an unusual word. It's not the typical word used for idols, but it's the one that's used here. It says, do not turn to ha-elelim, the idols, or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am Adonai your God. And there's our phrase again. But I want to draw attention to this ha-elelim. Uh, those who are experts in Hebrew tell us that this is a mocking form of Elohim. When God says, I am Adonai, your God, Elohechem, that's a possessive form of Elohim. I'm your Elohim. But these idols he calls Ha-Elelim. And it's a mocking form. It's almost like saying the godlets, these little godlets, these little puppy gods. 
and someone uh, in ancient times who, of course, read Hebrew and was fluent in it would recognize that God was actually mocking these idols. He's saying, I am Adonai. I'm Adonai, your God. I'm the power in your life, the power to create, the power to save, to redeem, to restore, and to accomplish all these things I've accomplished against Egypt, bringing the plagues and delivering you. This is who I am. So don't turn to these little godlets, these little toy gods. Put them away. I'm the real thing. And then in verse 16, it says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am Adonai. And there's one of those ten times where he just says, Ani Adonai. Now, if you look at various translations of the phrase, against the life of your neighbor, uh, you'll find this translated all different kinds of ways. But it's very easy to translate this literally from the Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's you shall not ta'amod, you shall not stand, all against or on dam, the blood. You should not stand on the blood of your neighbor. Better, you shall not stand in your neighbor's blood. What a graphic picture this is. God is telling us that when you go about as a gossip and a talebearer, what you're doing, you are standing in your neighbor's blood. Now, you're not murdering him physically, which would probably be kinder. But what you're doing, you're destroying his character. You're destroying his reputation. And there's a phrase in Hebrew that uh, it's used in Psalm 27, where David talks about those who are my enemies who are eating, they're devouring my flesh. That's an idiom for they're destroying my character through their gossip. The picture God wants to paint here is that when you gossip against someone else, you destroy their character and you accuse them. And remember, we already have one accuser of the brethren, and that's Satan. And unless you want to be Satan's little helper, don't be accusing the brethren. Don't be gossiping. Don't be tail-bearing. Because if you do, here's the picture God wants you to have. You are a cannibal who's ripping your neighbor apart and eating his raw flesh as you stand in his blood. Now that is a graphic and gross picture. But it's exactly what's occurring spiritually. When you use your mouth to tear apart your neighbor, especially behind his back. Don't stand in your neighbor's blood. In the next chapter, Leviticus 20, verse 7, God says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am Adonai your God. You know, to be holy, there are, there are two phases of that. For one, we have to stand apart from the world. But secondly, we have to stand with God. And some people try to do the one without doing the other. They try to be different from the world, but they're not so keen on really living a life for God. Others want to live a life for God without really separating themselves from the Lord or from the world. So if you want to live for the Lord, you've got to do both of these. But this verse, if you look at the Hebrew and add up all the Hebrew letters, their numeric values, 
you'll get a, a, a total of 2,403. And there's only one other verse in the entire Torah that has this same numeric value. And it's in Deuteronomy 6.14. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. So, you consecrate yourselves to the Lord, but you also must put aside the gods of the peoples. You have to stand away from the world if you really want to stand with God. Holiness includes both of these actions. And so with that, we want to come to the, uh, the, the closing insight, also in Leviticus 20. In verse 20, 24, it says, But I have said to you, You shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Adonai your God, who has separated you from the peoples. The peoples means the Gentile nations. And in Hebraic thought, there are 70 nations apart from Israel. And this comes out of Genesis after the flood and after the, um, uh, the confusion of the languages and so on. It gives kind of a, uh, um, uh, a geographical overview of all the different people groups that separated out. And if you count them up, there are exactly 70. And so to refer to the 70 nations is a way of referring to all the Gentiles. And then in uh, chapter 10, God calls, I'm sorry, chapter 15, uh, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And so he calls and makes a 71st nation. And that's the nation of Israel. So the reason I bring this up, that we're to be separate from the peoples, is because there are 70 nations. And as I mentioned earlier, there are 70 commandments in this Torah portion. So, we need to be separate from the culture. Not to be isolated from it, but to be separate from it. Isolation doesn't help our culture. Being completely um, embraced by the culture doesn't help the culture. But stepping away from it, stepping away from it enough just to be different, to not be a participant in it, this is the place we need to be if we want to reach our culture. Whenever I think of being separate, I, I think of the story of where Yeshua was on the shore and he was surrounded by crowds of people and he wanted to be able to communicate to them. But he was too close to them. So what did he do? It says he got in one of the boats and he told the disciples to push off a little ways from the shore. In other words, put a little distance between me and the mob. And then when he's at the right distance, at that point, he could address the crowd. He could reach them. He could communicate to them. So if he was too close, he could only talk to those he was really close to. He went on the other side of the lake. He couldn't talk to anybody. But if he put the right distance, then he was in a position. He was poised to address the crowd and to have an impact in their lives. We have to do the same. And I think if we walk in the Spirit, obeying the commandments, humbly and in love, we'll know where that distance is. Being isolated does not help the world. Being 
of the world doesn't help the world. But putting that proper distance, being holy unto God, separating ourselves from the world the right amount, but to God fully and completely, then we can represent Him to this world in a way that will impact it and be effective. That's my desire for my life. That's my desire for you as well. So I encourage you to to, uh, learn where that proper distance is and to live a life holy unto God, but in a way that you'll be like a city set on a hill, like a lamp put on its lampstand, and you can be a light to this dark world. So with that, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Thank you for joining us for today's teaching. If the work of Torah Today Ministries has touched your life, please consider making a donation or sponsoring an upcoming video. As a video sponsor, you'll have an exclusive opportunity to memorialize a family member, celebrate a special event, or simply support the ongoing creation of similar content. Your tax-deductible contribution helps ensure that our teachings continue to reach all who are longing for truth. Click the link or visit our website to learn more. That's all I have to say.